If you have your Bible this morning, please turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1. And today we're going to look at Joshua and the new beginning that faces him as a new leader to the nation of Israel. In the first chapter in Joshua, I have found some great lessons and principles to help us face the future. And as I was studying this message this morning, it is so applicable to my situation and where I am at. And so I'm going to teach through this lesson this morning. A lot of these principles are for me, and I'm hoping to share them to you and glean some, uh, hopefully you guys will be able to glean some insights into some things that you can glean from the chapter of Joshua chapter 1. Warren Wearsby says it this way, the book of Joshua is the book of new beginnings for the people of God, and many believers today need a new beginning. One thing that I have learned is that leaders don't lead forever. Even godly leaders like Moses. There comes a time in every ministry when God calls for a new beginning with a new generation and new leadership. This church was led by a very godly man, a very godly leader who challenged us to grow in our relationship with Christ. He taught us to work together in unity, to accept one another in love, to maintain unity, and to be a blessing to those around you. He let us know that this ministry was not just about him, but rather it was God's ministry. And he was his servant leading the people. And now God has called him to serve in a new location. Our church has come to the time where God has called for a new beginning. A new generation of people are beginning to come. New people are stepping up to do ministry. And new leadership is in our future. How do we as believers navigate through this uncertainty of what lies ahead? How do we face the future with confidence? Should we really be concerned about what happens tomorrow? Several years ago, there was a TV series called Early Edition. I don't know if you guys remember it, but I only saw a few of its programs. But the storyline was about a young man who somehow was able to read tomorrow's newspaper today. In other words, he was able to know what was going to happen a day before it actually happened. Now, let me ask you, if you were able to know what was going to happen tomorrow before it happened how would you use this knowledge? Would you use it to enrich, enrich yourself? How about this? If you knew that the stock market was going to go up, would you buy low and sell high? And make a lot of money? Would you use it to help those in need? If you knew someone was going to be in trouble and needed help, would you rush to help them? Would you become a hero? If you knew someone was in danger and would die, would you be there to prevent that from happening? What would you do if you knew what was going to happen tomorrow? Well, some people are obsessed with trying to figure out the idea of learning the future. They peer into crystal balls, they read tea leaves, and they cast horoscopes. But in reality, none of us really knows the future 
here upon this earth. Solomon talks about that several times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to read this verse with me here in Ecclesiastes 8-7. Look with me, it says, Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? It says, no man knows the future. So what do we do about that? Well, that's what we're going to look at. As far as our concerned, our future, our life upon this earth is uncertain. So if life is uncertain, and we can't really know what's going to happen to us here, how do we face the future? What should we do? Well, God has some answers to that question. First of all, we're going to look at three things that God says don't do. Three things that God says don't do. And the first one can be found here in Proverbs 27.1. It says, don't be prideful about tomorrow. Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27 says, don't boast about tomorrow. Notice the word boast here. It means to speak of deeds, abilities, or characteristics in a manner of showing pride or self-satisfaction. In the Old Testament, boasting is often used to describe the basic attitude of the ungodly, it, who depended on their own resources rather than on God. Enemies of Israel, they boasted about their victories and claimed the glory for themselves. God tells us, don't be prideful about tomorrow. Our confidence can't be such that we have our future all mapped out. And God is not in the picture. We need to pray. And we need to pray hard. That we will recognize where God is leading us. Our source of strength needs to come from God. When we are searching for God's will and guidance in the matter, we are asking for his blessing upon it. And he will. Give us a hope and a future. So don't be prideful about tomorrow. Secondly, he says this. Don't panic about tomorrow. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, fortunately, we serve a loving and a merciful God. And God doesn't unload everything on us all at once. You see... I don't think we could take everything all at once anyway. God gives us life in bite-sized pieces. We have 24-hour segments. We have one day at a time. And he says, you live your life as it comes, one day at a time. Someone wrote this, and I like it. It says, life by the yard is hard, but life by the inch is a cinch. Don't panic about tomorrow. Take it one day at a time. God knows what's going to happen. Third, God says, don't procrastinate until tomorrow. I appreciate the living Bible rendition of Ecclesiastes 11.4. It says it this way, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. I wonder how many of us have promised ourselves this last January that we were going to do something this year that we have not done yet. We make resolutions. We say we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But too often we actually never get around to doing it. 
Someone wrote it this way. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change my life, and I will tomorrow. You know, again, there are three things that God says don't do. He said, don't be prideful. Don't panic. And don't procrastinate till, until tomorrow. But now, there's four things that he told us to do. And God told us some things that I think we can glean from Joshua. So we find them in the first chapter of Joshua. If you turn with me and look there, we're going to follow along in some, uh, some commandments that, Josh, that God told Joshua. Now, from Exodus 3 to Deuteronomy 34, the Bible focuses attention on the ministry of Moses, God's chosen servant to lead the nation of Israel. But you know what? Moses died. And though he would not be forgotten, a new servant of the Lord would take his place. Warren Wearsby says it this way, God buries his workers, but his work goes on. Here's the scene. God freed the children of Israel from Egyptian slavery. But because their disobedience, they have been living in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has just died, and now it's Joshua's turn to lead the people. The older, disobedient generation is gone. And the younger generation is ready to do what God tells them to do in order to enter the promised land. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And on the other side is the promised land. Joshua knows that once they enter the promised land, they will be facing at least seven enemy nations. And they're strong nations with trained armies and fortified cities. And they're far better equipped with weapons than Joshua's young army is. Is it any wonder that Joshua might be a little nervous about all of this? So, God appears to him and says, Joshua... Let me tell you four things that you should do. And if you do these four things, I will guarantee your success. So, let's take a look at these four things and consider if God might still be telling us, as we face the future and its uncertainties, to do them today, too. Look with me in chapter 1 here and follow along as I read verses 2 and 3. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites, and I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. God says something important here. He says, get ready. I want you to possess the land. So really, the first thing that God is telling Moses here, he needs to get ready. Get ready. Be alert. Be prepared. Be watchful. Great things are going to come, so get yourself ready. Joshua has been living in anticipation of this moment for a long time. He had seen the promised land. Remember? He had been there. He told them earlier that they could conquer the land. But the rest of them were not ready to do it. Joshua had been living in anticipation of this moment for a long time. And he knew what was ahead. And God was telling him to get ready. Your time has now come. You are the person whom I have chosen to lead these people into the promised land. 
I, the Lord, will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. You see, Joshua, he was ready. He was ready. Now, mama eagles, they're caring and loving creatures. But somewhere along the line, the mama eagle decides it's time that the baby eagles need to learn to fly. So what she does is she takes these little eagles out of the nest. She flies up as high as she can go. And at this point, she drops the baby. And he falls fast. The baby has never flown in his life. The ground is coming up awfully quick and his heart is ready to burst. And he knows that there's no way that he's going to be able to survive this fall. But the mama eagle is watching closely. And at the last moment, she swoops down and catches the baby eagle. The mama eagle then flies back up again. And let's go again. She does this until the baby learns to fly. You know, the Lord bore the Israelites on eagles' wings. When they had no water or food, he swooped down and he provided for them. When Moses faced the Red Sea, God swooped down and he parted it. When the walls were falling, he swooped down and he saved Rahab and her family. When you are wandering and lost, God swooped down and he saved you. How about you? Are you ready? Are you ready for what's in store? Do you know your Lord and Savior? If you were to die today, do you know for certain that you would be in heaven? If you don't, I encourage you to come up and talk to me sometime today. Because I would love to tell you how you can know for certain that you will be in heaven. Are you ready? How about those of you who are following Christ? Are you ready? Are you pressing on to take hold for which God has called you heavenward? Paul says in Philippians 3.13 and 14, he says this, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We as believers have the award of everlasting glory to look forward to. Paul's ultimate aspirations were not found in this life, but in heaven. Because that is where Christ is. So let me ask you again. Are you ready? God was calling Joshua to get ready. But you know what? Before Joshua could do that, there was something else he had to do. He had to let go of the past. He had to let go of the past. Look with me there at verse 2. It says, God began in verse 2 by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. You know what? Moses was God's chosen man for that time of the ages. He was the one that freed the people and led them out of Egypt. 
He was the one that God called to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And now Joshua has to fill his sandals? Joshua has to take his place. And you can imagine that fear and trepidation that Joshua must have felt. But God comes to Joshua and he says this, Joshua, listen to me. Moses is dead, but I am not. And you are not. I have a plan for your life and I have a plan for your people. So let's get on with this plan. Let's do it. Verse 11 and, and uh, verse 10 and 11 in chapter 1 there says, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here and go into the take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to own. Joshua was ready. He was taking the people and they were ready. Listen to this important verse found in Proverbs 16, 9, where it says, In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord is the one who determines his steps. Here's another translation that puts it this way. You should make plans, but you need to count on God to direct you. You should make plans, but you need to count on God to direct you. When we make plans asking God to give us direction, that's wisdom. When we make plans without taking God into consideration, that's foolishness. God told Joshua, stick with me and no one will be able to stand up against you. He says in verse 5, as I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we mustn't be prideful. We can't panic about the future. Don't procrastinate until tomorrow. Instead, we need to get ready and seek God's direction and set his plan for our life into motion. Here's the second thing that God tells us to do. The second thing is, stay in the word. Listen to verse 7 here. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. God says, Joshua, I am guaranteeing you success. If you will be careful to obey all the law. And the way to do that is not to turn from it either to the left or to the right. In other words, don't become sidetracked. Now, <clears throat> Christians can become sidetracked. It might be a promotion in your job. And suddenly, you're so busy that you don't have time for the word of God. Or to be in God's house with God's people. Maybe it's a hobby. You get so caught up in the fact that you no longer have time for God. Maybe it's a new relationship. And you're spending so much time with that person 
that you have no time left over for God. Maybe it's that search for a new pastor. You are so committed to finding that perfect person for the church that you forget to ask God who he thinks would be best. Look at verse 8. God says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, did you notice in here? God told Joshua three ways that we are to stay in the Word. Three ways that we are to stay in the Word. Here's the first one. Look at it. It says we're to talk about it. Don't let the Word of God depart from your mouth. Don't let the Word of God depart from your mouth. You know, it's not enough just to read the Word. We need to talk about it. We need to discuss it. We need to learn it. And this is why we have Sunday school classes. This is why we have Bible study groups. Christian people need to talk with each other about what God is teaching us and how God is working in our lives. What are you doing to talk about God's Word? Are you participating in Sunday school class? Are you going to a Bible study? Are you doing it regularly? Just coming to this service will not give you that interaction that you need in order to grow in your relationship with Christ. We need to share with each other. You can't benefit from what God is doing in my life if I don't tell you. And I can't benefit from what God is doing in your life if you don't tell me. We need to talk about it. It's important for us to talk about what God is doing in our lives. Secondly, God says to think about it. Look at that verse again. It says to meditate on it day and night. The word meditation has fallen on hard times because, you know, when we, we hear it, we often think of something, someone sitting cross-legged, hands folded, and in some kind of trance doing whatever it is that they do. But you know what? Meditation is a good biblical word. If you want to understand what it is, consider this. Worry is a negative form of meditation. That's all worry is. It's constantly thinking about all the bad stuff that could happen. That is negative meditation. Many years ago, I memorized this verse found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I find myself regularly using these verses. These particular verses remind us that we need to bring our worries to God in prayer. Now, a friend of mine, he, he stated it this way. A worry is really reminding us, and sometimes others, about our concern for something that is out of our control or that might be greater than our ability to handle. Prayer, on the other hand, 
Prayer allows us to take our worry to God. He then gives us strength in the form of a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Prayer is what is the pressure relief valve that keeps you from self-destructing. It's the release of God's power in your life that reassures you that God is in control. What is it that you need to take to God this morning? Is your life full of stress and anxiety? Has he given you a peace which goes beyond understanding? If not, then you need to go to him in prayer. Positive meditation is thinking about what God can do and how God can work in your life. Right now, our church is going through a bit of a transition. And we need your prayers. We are in the process of searching for a new pastor. And this process can be stressful and filled with much anxiety. We as a church body need to be praying for our search committee and this process. You may ask, how is it? That we can be praying for you. Well, let me show you. I want everyone to pull out your bulletin. Pull out your bulletin. And take a look with me. Down here at the bottom, we have a list of those that are in our search committee. What you as a congregation can be doing is praying for each one of these people. Praying that God will use them to find the right man for this church. We've also put here something that uh, you can be praying for. It says, please pray for the true needs of the congregation, which will come to surface as the church staff and pastoral search committee seeks the Lord about what is next for our church. Pray that no personal agenda would surface, but only the will of the Lord as the search committee seeks the man the Lord has for this congregation. On a monthly basis, we're going to start putting items in the bulletin for you guys to be praying for. Take these. Use them in your prayer life. Pray for God. Another area that we're going to be doing is uh, once a month, Pastor Gary and I have already talked about this, is we want to take our Sunday evening service once a month and make a prayer service. We're going to spend some time in that service, praying for the needs of the church, praying for the direction of the church, praying for the next pastor and his family for this church. We encourage you guys to participate in those with us. You know, God told Joshua to meditate on it day and night, and this is what we are going to do. I hope that you are going to think about it. I hope you are going to meditate on it. Third, God says, do it. Put it into practice. He says to be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Take the teachings and the principles out of the world and out into the world and live them every day. Someone said it this way. Sin will keep you from reading the Bible. But you know what? Reading the Bible will keep you from sin. So don't neglect it. Don't neglect getting into the Word. Here's the third thing that God told Joshua to do. He said, be strong and courageous. 
Be strong and courageous. That's the kind of commitment that God was asking of Joshua. You know, between him and the promised land was this huge river. The Jordan was at its flood stage. And Joshua was afraid. Notice what God said three times in the first chapter of Joshua. God said this in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. In verse 7, he says, be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, he says, be strong and courageous. Then he says this in verse 9. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Notice those words, terrified and discouraged. These are two of Satan's most valuable tools. He wants you to be terrified. He wants you to be discouraged. Don't let him win. You know, these past couple weeks, Satan has been working overtime, putting thoughts of fear and discouragement in my own head. It would be so easy for me just to throw into the towel and say, I can't do this. Why, Lord, have you put me in this leadership position in the church? I answered your call to serve, but this isn't what I had intended. Thoughts of feeling overwhelmed and being, it being too much pressure creep in daily. But you know what? I can't let them win. One of my favorite verses is found in Philippians 4.13, where it says this. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. My source of strength comes from God. He has defeated Satan and he will help me to overcome my fears. And I know for a fact that some of you here today are facing the same thing. You are facing fear and discouragement Satan is getting into your head. Maybe it's with your marriage. You're struggling right now, and you don't know how to help it. Maybe it's at your job, your work. Things are not going according to plan. You have a boss who's being unreasonable. Maybe it's with the kids. The kids are being unruly, and I can't get them under control. Thoughts of fear and discouragement are there. You are ready to throw in the towel and say all hope is lost. But you know what? God says this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, I've already felt overwhelming support from this church family. So many of you have already come up to me and told me you are praying for me. Many of you have asked, how can I help? Well, Warren Wearsby puts it this way. What a new leader really needs is not advice, but encouragement. And to encourage literally means to put heart into. Words of encouragement and not advice are always helpful for someone who is struggling. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you are struggling, let people know. They want to help you. They want to pray for you. They want to be there for you. 
Don't let fear and discouragement sink in. Here's the final thing that God told Joshua and the people of Israel. He said this, step out in faith. Now, I like that because we need to understand that faith is an action word. Faith is an action word. Faith is never passive. It's not enough just to sit around and say, well, faith is what I believe. That's not faith. I can say that I believe an airplane will fly, but if I don't exhibit my faith in the airplane until I get on it, that's not faith. Or I can say I believe the chair will support my weight, but I don't exhibit faith in the chair until I sit on it. That is not faith. Is fear holding you back from something? You know, fear will keep you in the desert for a long time. Do you realize that the Israelites could have traveled from Mount Sinai in about a matter of three weeks? But it took them 40 years to get there. 40 years getting there because they were caught in the grip of fear. But God says to Joshua, do not be terrified. In other words, don't be afraid. Joshua, see, he took to heart what God was trying to tell him. And we see in verse 16 of chapter 1 that the people of Israel, they took to heart this time as well. Look at that. They said, they answered Joshua, wherever you, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. They were ready and they were willing to take that next step of faith. The lesson for God's people today is clear. God has given us all spiritual blessings in Christ. And we must step out in faith and claim them. He has set before this church an open door that nobody can close. And we must walk through that door by faith to claim the new territory for the Lord. It's impossible to stand still in the Christian life and service. For when you stand still, you immediately start to go backwards. Let us move on. Let us go forward. God's challenged his church, and that means moving ahead into new territory. How about you? Are you ready? How much faith do you have? Faith is an action word. You know, God has already defeated sin. God has already run the victory on Calvary. The Apostle Paul said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul is saying, I can master every circumstance that comes my way if my faith and trust is solid in God. How about you this morning? What are you going to do? Where is your faith? We can't stand still. We have to move forward. God has a plan for this church. He has a plan for your life. He has called each of you to be his own. What are you going to do? Folks, that's how we face the future. Life is filled with ifs. But you can face the future if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know what part of this message God is laying on your heart to work on this morning.
That's between you and God. But I do know that he has a great future planned for this church. And in order for us to see how great that future is going to be, he is asking us to get ready. He is asking us to stay in his word. Stay in his word. Daily. And he's asking us to step out in faith and to claim the new territory for which the Lord has given us. Are you ready to accept that challenge? Are you ready to move forward? Are you ready to see what God has in store for this church? He's going to do great things here. He's requiring all of us to do it. I'm just one man. Together, God is going to do great things through us. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for this challenge from Joshua and what you have done for us to be able to learn these truths. Lord, I pray right now that each of us would stick to what it is that you have had, you've called us to do. Lord, we are ready. We are ready for you to do a work in our lives. We are ready for you to do a work in this church. We are ready. Use us. Help us to stay in your word, Lord. May we work to do that every day. Get into your word. Help us to learn from it, to think about it, to study it. God, I thank you for that opportunity we have to do that. Help us to be strong and courageous. Don't let that fear step into our lives, Lord. Don't let us, let that discouragement become overwhelming for us. God, help us to take that step of faith. You have called us now into your service. Give us that passion and that desire to serve you. It is your will that we desire to follow. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.